0: The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkee Town Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkee Town, please visit our website at www.durkeeTown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N.org. Am I on here? I was saying uh, down at St. James that I can't preach too often because every time I preach we get bad weather um, last time it was snow luckily this time it's just rain but I don't know there's my excuse I was talking with Eric and Robert on Wednesday during our uh, young adult small group and we were joking around that I should change the title of my sermon the morning of um, and then give an exposition of it Now I didn't change the name of the sermon um, but I did want to mention it for a couple of reasons I titled this sermon, To Believe or Not to Believe. As you'll see, the sermon this morning centers around belief. Belief that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So that's the first reason. The second reason is for Eric's benefit, because he mentioned a couple weeks back in the small group book study that I'm doing with him and pastor, that pastor needs to incorporate more literary references into his sermons. So there you go, Eric. There's my crude reference to Hamlet. Um... That's also the extent of the Shakespeare that I know, so that's all you're getting. <laughs> Our text this morning begins in John chapter 20, verse 18. But before we get there, I want to make sure the context in which the second half of chapter 20 is set is clear. At the end of chapter 19, we have Jesus' crucifixion, death, and burial in the tomb in the garden. In the first half of chapter 20, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb to find that the stone had been rolled away. She ran to Simon Peter and John and told them that the Lord had been taken from the tomb and she was not sure where they had laid him. Peter and John ran to the tomb and saw the linen cloths that he had been wearing were lain out and the face cloth was folded. Now why is the fact that the face cloth was folded an important point? Well, because someone stealing the body of Jesus would not be worried about taking the time and care to fold the cloths. They'd be worried about getting out of there as quickly as possible. Now John includes that detail in his account, though at that point in time, verse 9, tells us that they did not yet understand that Jesus was to be raised from the dead. We get pieces of this sentiment in John's gospel, but it is very clear in Mark's account. Prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 32, say this, "...they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, "...the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise." But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. The disciples did not understand that Jesus would die and be raised from the dead three days later. Picking back up in verse 10, Peter and John left the tomb and returned to their homes, probably to tell the rest of the disciples what they had seen. When they had left, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping when she looked into the tomb to see two angels sitting where Jesus had lain. Then Jesus appeared to Mary, and he instructed her to go to the disciples and tell them that he was ascending to the Father in heaven. Here I'll pick up the reading in John chapter 20, verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time that we have to gather here together and worship your name. I thank you for the words that have been read out of the Bible. I thank you for the songs that have been sung. I thank you for all that are gathered here today. I pray for those that are not able to make it, that you would still be with them. And I pray that your spirit would work through me so that it would not be my words, but your words. And I pray that you would bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mary went and announced to the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he was ascending to God the Father. Now, I imagine this wasn't any old conversation that Mary was having with the disciples. She didn't start a regular conversation like, oh, how are you guys doing? The weather's nice, isn't it? By the way, almost forgot. Remember that guy Jesus that was crucified on the cross? Yeah, I saw him. No big deal, though. He sends his regards. Can you imagine how that conversation would have gone? Guys, guys, I have seen the Lord. I have seen our teacher, our Savior. Guys, I have seen the Savior. He has risen from the dead. Now, if you remember the first part of the chapter, two of the disciples, Peter and John, saw that the tomb was empty. But I imagine when Peter and John saw the empty tomb... Their initial reaction was the same as Mary's when she first saw that it was empty, that someone had taken his body and laid it somewhere else. Despite having seen Jesus raise several people from the dead, their first instinct was not to think that Jesus had been resurrected. Yet, here is Mary claiming to have spoken to Jesus and his words from verse 17. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So we've gone from the empty tomb, and Jesus' body presumed to have been stolen, to, oh wait, he's alive. Now, what's your reaction if you're in the disciples' shoes? Are you taking Mary's word for it? The picture that immediately popped into my head was a room full of disciples with their mouths wide open, overwhelmed, and not comprehending what was being said to them. Fall semester of my senior year at Clarkson, I was taking a class called heat transfer, which is typically one of the harder engineering classes that you're going to take in your undergraduate degree. Um, It was the beginning of the semester, um, so everybody was still getting used to their schedules, where their classes were, what times they were. And the professor um, was going through the typical first day stuff going through the syllabus, introducing himself, but he never mentioned the title of the class. Now, he quickly transitioned into covering actual material because most engineering professors think that they won't have enough time during the semester to cover all the material that they are slated to. So he transitions into going through some concepts from calculus, differential equations, and fluids that everyone should, in theory, be familiar with before you get to that class. Now I was sitting there and there was a student to my left, a couple seats down, that when the professor was going through these concepts, had a blank look on his face. And he got to one of the concepts and his jaw just dropped and he was just staring blankly at the screen. And then I watched him reach into his backpack and he pulled out his freshman orientation booklet. (laughs) And he quickly realized that that was not where he was supposed to be in the senior level class he quickly got up and left. In a similar sense, I I picture a group of disciples with confused looks, thinking, Mary, it's been a long couple of days. This is no time for joking around. We've got other things to worry about. And what else did the disciples have to worry about? Well, if you look at verse 19, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now stop right there for a second. The first thing is, it's the same day. So all of this, all the way back to verse 1, Mary sees the tomb is empty. She goes to find Peter and John. They see that the tomb is empty. Mary is weeping and sees the angels. And then Jesus appears to Mary, and they speak. That's all the same day. Let's talk about an emotional roller coaster that seems pretty insane. Then John tells us that the disciples are together and the doors are locked for fear of the Jews. Now, the reason the disciples are afraid of the Jews is because they think they're next. Jesus has just been arrested and crucified for his teachings, and the disciples were his most loyal followers, teaching and preaching and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ as well. They think there is going to be a knock on that door calling for each one of them to be crucified next. But that's not the surprise that they get. Instead, despite the doors being locked, Jesus joins them. Now, I'm not going to speculate about how exactly Jesus joins him, because that's not what I'm after, but I think this is significant for a couple of reasons. Jesus physically went to see the disciples. He didn't just say, well, Peter and John saw the empty tomb, I spoke to Mary, that should be enough for the disciples. They should believe them. Instead, he physically joins them. Not only does he go to visit them, but the doors are locked, and everyone except Thomas is together. Jesus shows his love for the disciples. He reassures them. Here they are, fearful for their lives, thinking that they're going to be crucified next, because the Savior that was sent to save them has been killed. Not to mention, they've been told that Jesus's body is no longer in the tomb, and they are unsure of what has happened. So when Jesus enters the room, he puts them at ease. What is the first thing he says to them? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Jesus eases their troubled minds. Calm down. It's me. At the same time, he shows them his hands and his side. You saw me nailed to the cross and my side pierced with a spear. Look, it is me. And immediately the disciples were glad to see them. And what does he say again? Peace be with you. Now there is a deeper meaning of peace that we must not overlook either. Yes, Jesus was giving them peace in the moment because they were nervous, because they were worried about what might happen to them. But there is an eternal peace that Jesus brings with him because of his resurrection. Jesus' resurrection means that we are no longer slaves to sin. The peace that through an act of love, Jesus bore the wrath for us so that our sins are forgiven, so that it was him who died on the cross, rather than each one of us. Jesus sacrificed himself for our sin, even though he was the perfect lamb and deserved none of it. The very fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead and enters the room with the disciples proves that sin has been defeated. After Jesus reassures the disciples... He says, starting in the middle of verse 21, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now there's a lot to unpack here. The first thing we learn is that even though Jesus himself is enough, Even though we are no longer slaves to sin, that doesn't mean we can just sit back and relax. Well, everything is paid for in Jesus' blood, right? Time to enjoy ourselves a little bit. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus gives us a task. Jesus says that we are sent out just as he was by the Father. We are sent out to preach and spread the good news of Jesus Christ so that all might believe repent of their sins, and have eternal life. Just as Jesus was sent to save the world, we are sent out to tell of the saving grace of God for those who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, to me, that sounds like a daunting task. I mean, there's a lot of people in the world. But Jesus doesn't say, all right, you're sent out, go ahead, goodbye. No, he gives them something else doesn't he? Jesus gives them the Holy Spirit to lead them in the task of preaching the gospel. I like the wording from Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16, which says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We are not alone in this walk. We have been given the Holy Spirit to lead us and strengthen us in our mission. During our Bible study this past week, we were reading Romans chapter 10, and there's a couple of verses that I would like to read for you. Starting in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Are you spreading the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? Are you preaching the good news that by grace through faith we have eternal life with God the Father? And if you're saying to yourself right now, Oh, I don't know enough about the Bible to preach it or to teach it to others. I'm not saying that you have to go to Bible college to spread the word. Have that conversation with the person at work that was asking you where you go to church. Have that conversation with the person that was asking you, hey, what's the deal with that Bible thing? Demonstrate love through your interactions with other people. If you're saying, I don't have the money to travel somewhere else right now to be a missionary, well, newsflash for you. We need people that are spreading the word right here in our own communities. Down in the village of Fort Edward, or Hudson Falls, or Argyle, or Queensbury, Glens Falls, wherever you want to say, we need the gospel spread. Go out and spread the news that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is risen. Now if we go back to verse 22, it reads, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Jesus is not saying that the disciples now have the power to forgive sins or to withhold forgiveness. He is saying that the disciples are charged with spreading the news that Jesus is risen, and whoever believes in him and accepts him as Lord will be saved. Oh, by the way, this isn't just aimed at the disciples. Are you spreading the word of God in your daily lives and glorifying God in everything that you do? Or are you coming to church on Sunday and this is the most time that you're going to spend in God's word or in conversation with his people? Did you recognize a couple weeks ago on Easter that Jesus' resurrection was the most significant event ever? And that because of God's love and mercy that we are saved? Or were you more concerned with opening your Easter basket or the excuse to eat some chocolate? Or maybe you got the day off on Monday from work. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails... And place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. Now, that's some harsh language. Really, Thomas? Never? Now, obviously, we don't know what's going through Thomas's head as he says these things, but it's interesting to put it into the context of who does believe. We're told Thomas was not with the rest of the disciples when Jesus first visited So we can assume that the other 10 disciples, minus Judas, obviously, were present for the first visit. Now imagine you're being told by 10 of Jesus's closest followers, men that you've lived with for the last three years, men that have spent the last three years by Jesus's side, listening to his teachings, watching him perform miracles. And they tell you that he is risen from the dead and that they have seen him. Those are some pretty reliable witnesses. And yet, Thomas is adamant. I will never believe. Unless what? Unless he sees and places his hand in the mark of the nails and places his hand in Jesus' side. So what happens next? In verse 26, it says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and put it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Just as Jesus showed his love and mercy eight days earlier to the rest of the disciples, he does it again specifically for Thomas's sake. I think it's important that the interaction happens in a very similar sense to when Jesus visited the disciples the week before. The doors are locked, and he joins them, saying, peace be with you. Again, the fact that Jesus joins them when the doors are locked should be evidence enough. But then he goes further. Now remember, what did Thomas say he would need to believe? To see and touch the marks on Jesus's hands, and to place his hand in Jesus's side. I love this part, because Thomas doesn't have to ask And nobody pulled Jesus aside and said, hey, Thomas doesn't believe. Um, But if you do this, this, and this, then he'll believe. Nobody said anything to Jesus or like that. Jesus knows immediately what it will take for Thomas to believe. And he immediately addresses Thomas's concerns. Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus showed his love and mercy for his people. He doesn't greet Thomas like, Hey, Thomas, it's me. How many miracles did you watch me perform? You believe that the Father sent me to save you, and yet you don't believe that it was me? The testimony from the rest of the disciples isn't enough? What's the issue here? Now, I'm not sure how many people in this room have watched the TV show NCIS, but my mind immediately went to Gibbs smacking De Nozo on the back of the head if he doesn't do something right. Hey, Thomas, what are you thinking? No, Jesus doesn't say any of these things. Jesus is compassionate towards Thomas, and he addresses his skepticism with love and mercy. It does not, however, come without a warning. Do not disbelieve, but believe. You better believe that Jesus is your Savior repent of your sins, and turn away from the earthly things. If you don't, an eternity in bondage to Satan and hell awaits you. Do not disbelieve, but believe. No one goes to the Father but through Christ. When I was preparing the sermon, the song, In Christ Alone, kept coming into my head. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to sing for you. That would be bad for all of us. But, I do want to quote a few lines for you to think about. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me. That's the first one. The second one is, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Now, we talked earlier about how Jesus' death and resurrection provides peace to us because sin and death have been defeated. Don't be discouraged by the sins of your past. Oh, how could God ever forgive me for something I did that was that bad? Your sins have been paid for with Jesus' blood. I would encourage you to please talk to someone before you leave here this morning if you don't know what it means to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Going back to the text in verse 28, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We see that Thomas fully believes and fully accepts Jesus after seeing him. But Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those that listen to the teaching of the word And believe in Jesus. This is where we come in, isn't it? None of us have ever seen Jesus with our own eyes. Sure, we've seen his works in the people around us, but we've never actually laid eyes on him. Have you ever said to God, God, if you would just do this for me, then I would believe in you. God, if you would just give me a sign, then I will know that you're listening. We learn from this text that Jesus wants you to have faith in him because of the evidence all around you spend time reading the bible read the signs and wor- and miracles and wonders that he had performed while he was on earth look outside at the wonders of his creation men i would encourage you to attend the workshop next weekend and learn about how to effectively study the bible fellowship with others in the body of christ listen to the testimonies of your brothers and sisters about how God is working in their lives. Encourage one another. Start attending a small group Bible study. Develop a relationship with God through prayer. Thank God for the blessings that you have been given and believe in the hope that the risen Christ is returning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkytown, please visit our website at www.durkytown.org.